Hey Playwright, I'm Tori Rice. And I'm Mabel Reynoso. And welcome to Hey Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hey Tori. Hey Mabel. How's it going? Do you see how really? how how much <laughs> how much deeper? Hey, is it football season? I hear is, it. <laughs> is, is it football? No, I don't even know what's no, happening it's, in the it's I think not. base baseball? Yes. Baseball season. Oh yeah, the Dodgers are Okay, I'm gonna stop while I'm ahead. Don't yep. even know. Don't even know. <laughs> I know. I, I, I you know, Ron enjoys sports, but I don't know a ton about I, it. I saw this uh this article. I I'm a subscriber um to the LA Times and they I saw in one of the newsletter emails that I got somebody was talking about how they took their father to a game. I think it was the first game since since the COVID and wow. being in Dodger Stadium and what an emotional experience it was being there and you know um and I think they won. <laughs> Dodgers oh, really? Yes. <laughs> but wow. but they were talking about how how symbolic Dodger Stadium is because of the history with Los Angeles and Chavez Ravine and you know just like but also that 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 place feels like sacred ground to the Chicano community. So I thought that was kind of mm. interesting though I know nothing about baseball. I didn't know that bit of history about it. I mean, yes. I, when I was a kid, you know, I, we lived in Arizona, but we did travel to Los Angeles for a very short family vacation one year, and we went to a game at Dodger Stadium. It was a big deal. I remember um, Walter Matthau was there, like, on our deck, wherever we were seated, and also, who was that really tall... Um, basketball player Walt. aren't aren't they all <laughs> I can't even think of what his name was but I think his claim to fame was that he had slept with like 2,000 oh, women it's not Will yes. Chamberlain is it yes and okay. I got isn't that his, funny that that's how I know that I got his autograph my dad <gasps> and my mom kind of put me up to getting his autograph and so here's what happened there was this pack of reporters kind of following him around and I was at the back, you know, this little 12-year-old, I think I was 12 years old, you know, with my my piece of paper and a journalist, a female journalist was at the back and I think she saw me as an opportunity because she grabbed me and said, <gasps> let me take you up to the front and she went with no! me to the front so that I could ask for an autograph. So he stopped, he signed that piece of paper and that was click, that. Click, I still click. have it. The mm -hmm. photo op of... of him. Yes, there's a photo of me getting it. Isn't that oh, funny? I love that. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting you talk about stadiums because before COVID happened, there were quite a few concerts that my husband and I were scheduled to go see. And one of them was the Rolling Stones. <sighs> we had tickets to go see the Rolling Stones. And, you know, for me, I thought, well, this might be the last opportunity to see them because they aren't exactly spring chickens. <laughs> oh, no. Although Keith Richards is going to outlive us all, okay? Keith Richards and cockroaches are going to outlive nuclear annihilation. Well, we were we were supposed to go see them, and then we were also supposed to go see Jason Isbell and Lucinda Williams at Red Rocks in Colorado. And yeah, and that, and you know, then everything got shut down. Um, and music, live music, has just been always been one of the joys of life for me. Even as a youth, I just love the experience of um, being in person and having that loud throbbing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know. Totally. What about the, you? The well, music is music is responsible for uh, a significant part of my life. I met my husband at a show. Um, he was I was not a groupie, but he oh, happened so to what be... you're saying is you met him at his, <laughs> at his show. show? Yes, <laughs> I met him at his. I wasn't there to see his band. I was there to see another band, but I did meet him at. A show where he was performing I was like oh look I just I was just talking to that guy and he's the singer so that obviously led to the rest of my life but but the 
the last show that I went to before COVID is actually, I mean, I don't get out much, right? If I'm out in the world, it's because I'm teaching a class, not because I'm, hey, living the high life. No, um, but the last show that I went to was actually a birthday present. Um, John and I went to go see The Bouncing Souls, which is my favorite band. It's a punk band, and we have all aged. (laughs) (laughs) But I say this because there's something about like I was a teenager when I was listening to that music and now I'm clearly not a teenager but um but the the feeling you know and I'm like oh I'm gonna kick back you know because I'm old now and I'm just gonna hang out in the back but then you like they start playing and there's something that happened like like I was 17 again you know it's it's so weird how music does that to you just transports you and like I said the the rational side of me was like, I'll just hang back and just, just watch the show. But then something primal in me hears the music and it's like, Broom! and I will tell you this, Tori, they played an acoustic show and I took, that was the first, the first uh, punk show my kids went to was an acoustic show. It was in a bar. So I think of like that movie, Sweet Home Alabama with Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> you have a baby in a bar. <laughs> It was it was a family show, but but right. yes, they, I literally had my babies in a bar. So it's a huge part of me, and that was you know I just something about about their music, about punk music in general is I feel really connected to it. It it makes me feel like nothing else, and and I want to write a play, like that's that's gonna be the next thing that I work on is is a play inspired by my love of punk music. What about you? You you've written plays with music right i did write a play with music it my thesis play in grad school was a play about a band whose lead singer uh, commits suicide and so his the uh, the guitarist in the band who also happens to be his girlfriend takes over as the front person of the band and you know it was around the time of um Kurt Cobain's death, but also there was a local legend, one of the original members of the Jim Blossoms, Doug Hopkins, had committed suicide. And so um, my husband at the time was in a band in Tempe, Arizona, and it was ve- I was very much I- I- enmeshed in that scene of, of that culture of music and bars and just that that wonderful energy and connection that you feel you know that community but also there was a lot of heartache and drinking and you know the hard living but also uh, uh you know like Doug Hopkins was essentially like kicked out of the band by the other members right when they were on the edge of stardom so just it was it was not good you know um and so i i wrote this play which was definitely influenced by a lot of those things that happened but not about it i do not know how to write music i do not know how to write songs and so there were some friends of mine who were in a band called Zen Lunatics, and they wrote the songs for it. And we even made some music videos. And oh, so cool. It was, it was really just such a wonderful experience. Yeah, plays with music. I, I have a, I definitely have a high regard for people who can get that going and then um, get it up on stage and get it on its feet and, bring the audience into that amazing energy of marrying theater and music, music. whether it's hip hop or rock or punk or <laughs> you know but this leads into our guest yes we're so excited to speak with today's guest diana Burbano is a colombian immigrant 
playwright, equity actor, and teaching artist is South Coast Repertory and Breath of Fire Latina Theater Ensemble. For her complete bio, check out the show notes. Today, we will be talking to Diana about her extraordinary play featuring music and theater and so much more fabulous monsters. Welcome, Diana. Hi, Hi. thank you so much for having me. Woo, yes, we can't <laughs> wait to talk about your play. Oh my gosh, I enjoyed reading it so much. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Today's show is another book club format, and we are going to be discussing Diana's play, Fabulous Monsters. Yes, I'm so excited. I've, it's been a while since I've had this one uh, back in front of my mind, so I'm excited to talk about it. And it looks like when you originally developed this play that it was back in 2017, but then I noticed that it, it looks like you revisited your draft at the end of last year and started to make some changes to it. So I'm interested to hear about that. This play is really dear to me because I have always been a huge rock fan and a huge rock roll like lover and that's probably what I would have done had I had a different personality as a kid you know but um so so the the play started just as me I was listening to a Terry Gross interview about uh, about Linda Ronstadt and she had been um she just came out as suffering from Parkinson's from her her tremors and I thought my god and she wasn't singing anymore and that really knocked me out because she's one of the most beautiful voices in in any music really I mean it's exquisite voice and it really just sparked something in me because I was thinking a lot about, um, well, I was thinking a lot about women in the arts and what we're sort of allowed or have been allowed to portray and how messy we can be and things like that. And I thought, you know, that would be really interesting if I put a character like Linda Ronstead with a character like Joan Jett and had them meet um, and start a band and see what happens, you know, just let the characters kind of figure themselves out. Um, and then, so I had that play, and I, I liked that play a lot, but then as I started working, I kept working at it, and of course we changed so much. The political situation changes, the the culture changes, and I just kept wanting to kind of mess with it. As I kept learning things about ageism, and I, I kept learning things about um, uh, addiction, and so I, I kept revisiting it. And, and um, I had the opportunity to finally, right before we shut down, I was going to get my the premiere of the of the play. And with the premiere, I was going to revisit it again with some really wonderful actors where we could shape the music to them. So it could go from being like a play with music to just leaning just a little bit more to like a punk musical. So that and that's where where we are and where it is right now. Oh my gosh, I, I got a tear punk musical. <laughs> that is I know the best. Yes. So I am really curious about your so you told us that you, you Linda Ronsant and Joan Jett, the, the juxtaposition between the two the two voices. Um, but what is your connection to punk? Like, why did you choose punk? Well, because I was I was brought in, up in the Bay Area. I was um sort of the tail end of the punk rock era, really, so that I, I was I was very much in San Francisco at the time and at the Mabuhay Gardens, and I was a scrubby, tiny little kid who just loved this stuff because um, uh, as an immigrant kid, I never really felt like I belonged in anything. Like, like I feel American and Colombian equally and not at all right so I didn't I, I was always looking for a connection and it was always music for me and there was um just because of the things that I had gone through as a as a person as a child there's something about punk rock and that anger um that is so like foreign to I don't know Colombian women maybe in my family if I'm speaking just specifically and of the eye but it really spoke to me like to be angry and then I, I was lucky enough I was in the Mabuhay Gardens with a friend underage I don't know how I got in but I got in because you know at that age we wore too much makeup and looked older and um this girl was was playing the guitar and she was like wailing on she was beautiful little tiny thing wailing on the guitar like um a mad woman and i thought i want that i want all of that that expression of anger and and fierceness and like like letting your fear and your trauma come just like just out of your vocal cords like that i thought it was fantastic everything i wanted and so cathartic too mm -hmm. right like you mm -hmm. can just really feel it. I know when you go to a punk show, as opposed to um, other types of musical shows, that there really is just this 
energy that kind of sucks you in like it, it's it's so tangible you can really feel it you know which is why i think that the the moshing and all all of that that happens it just becomes almost like this crazy symbiotic thing where everybody is having this joined experience you know yeah. that you don't always quite get at other types of shows that's right and it, yeah. there, there's a certain edge of um there there is there are a couple of different kinds of punk obviously but they're they're the punk rock that is sort of also the artistic like what Alice Bag did and and um, what Belinda Carlisle and the Go-Go's did before they became sort of the Go-Go's that we know there was a I won't say nurturing because it wasn't about nurturing but it was it, there was this feminine feminine aspect to the anger that was exciting and um, but also you sort of knew you weren't going to get hurt in that you weren't going to get hurt, but you could express it, right? Like the minute the Orange County punks came in and it was like, uh, guys, the people that I love too, but, you know, they're violent and they're scary. And if you're tiny, you're like heading to the back so you don't get hurt, right? Unless you're into getting hurt. But and but it, it, so it, it went from being like a, a, a manic, uh, I don't know, like ritualistic, witch-based like thing to then it got scary. Yeah. You know? Mabel, you were talking about that. You mentioned Alice Bag, so I want to I want to stay with that for a moment because I was wondering, was Slade Sally? Oh yeah, modeled after Alice Bags. You know, because okay, so I was telling this to Tori because I don't know if 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 Tori knows, but but um, Chicana Latina women were a huge part of the LA 80s punk scene, they right? Were. Or like, or I don't know a huge part, but their presence, the there were some seminal artists that were female yes. punk rockers. And so that is what I loved about your script because I myself, as a Mexican um, Latina, and my father's from Argentina, but, um, you know, so I don't say Chicana because I'm... Both, I know, but, I know. But, we embr- yes, yeah, we're so much. You know, I know. Yes, I know. but but there, but there, very much there was what I found. Um, what I found very compelling about the script because we don't get to see that. I don't. I don't think most people realize that that was a really big part. So yeah. So can you talk about the development of of Sally Slade? Yes. Yes, yes. Well, I'm, I'm super excited about that because, yes, that's completely true. And there's always been um, uh, Chicano people, Mexican people, uh, Latino people from all different regions that have been in the rock and roll industry, in the punk rock industry, but, but you know, didn't name themselves. Um, I mean, Linda Ronstadt. I mean, we'll just go back to Ronstadt, La Ronstadt. She's um, she's half Mexican, but she's very steeped in her Mexicanidad and took a very long time to, once she was a star and felt like, I can do this. And there was so much talk about being Spanish. I think I touch about that a little bit in the play because I'm obsessed with that because I grew up with that idea. Like, I'm Spanish. And I'm like, Spanish. You're Spanish? <laughs> the yes. hell does that mean? <laughs> I mean, you're Spanish. <laughs> Um, and, 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 um, I, I think about that a lot in like all of my work, especially as white Latinas, like, and, and being, growing up being told that you pass and like, you were like, oh, okay, I pass. And you not knowing what that meant, like in your soul. And, and I, I feel like in rock and roll, because the baseline was, can you play an instrument? Can you be a compelling presence on stage? Um, you could lose a little bit of all that, like, what am I? And you were like, I'm a rock and roller. That's what I do, right? Um, I, that was the identity. And I think I, I think in, in that, it's been a lot of erasure, especially of the East L.A. scene, because a lot of people came out of that. And people who maybe were raised playing different kind of music, maybe they were even playing mariachi music or they were raised in different, but they had the skills that translated into doing rock and roll and so they went and they crossed genres and then you find out later that they do cross genres like you're like oh my god the guitarist for uh the germs is, was you know played in this band and it, and it, it but it takes a dig and just like everything in um that seems to happen in i know i know it's hard to, is it latinx culture chicano culture but in the culture tends to get either erased or assimilated and so you really have to do the digging to find out what it is. But there's so much history. There's so many artists that um, that belong that we should be talking about in that way. 
I, I really appreciated that too, because I did not know that. And so when I was reading the script, I went, oh my gosh, yeah, you very specifically said it in this time period, mm-hmm. you know, with these women. I mean, not only like it, it's, it's, you've got a couple of challenges, right? A woman going into punk. <laughs> yeah, right. Right, right. And, and, and but, but I just, I really love that because I felt like, I, I love the rawness of the play, um, how vulnerable the characters are, even when they're putting up that punk front. Um, but in addition to that, I felt like I was also learning about that time period, things that I didn't know. And and I I just loved it. Oh, I, I want to see it live. I'm so I'm excited that I know, I know. I, I here's hoping. I think it's it's it'll be programmed once we're able to open up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited too. Um, because I've, I had the people that I have been in contact with to play some of the parts are people that I've known and sort of loved and have grown up with in the LA theater scene for years who are so fierce and sometimes they don't get to play that. Like, uh, um, I don't know. There's this, I, I don't know if I should say her name, but I worship her. So it's okay. If she hears me, she can just like laugh at me later. Her name is Chrissy Guerrero. We're basically, we're around the same age and she is this she's a goddess I think if I were to like sculpt a character on anybody it would be on Chrissy because she can sing she can move she can play instruments and she's like perfect and I thought nobody's actually seen Chrissy I've seen her on stage doing rock and roll but I would love to see her on stage doing rock and roll in a play so that people can see how this exists I mean in Latina women but in women too like I'm so tired of seeing a certain kind of woman on stage I want to see more I crave more I crave a little, a little dirtiness and I don't know. Uh, yeah. I think that's why the rawness spoke to me so much. I went, oh, like here they are, they're saying what's on their mind. They're not afraid to, to be real. I mean, and then, and, and it's ugly, like, and it's, it's beautiful and it's ugly and it's all of those things, you know? Um, it's fabulous, just like your title. <laughs> I, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about the choice to have the older and younger versions of the characters share scenes together and what the evolution of that was. Yeah. Well, I think I, I started thinking about that. Um, at first, the, the play kind of was just the older characters, but then I felt like I wanted to bring in the younger story so that I could weave in a little bit of this this history that we're talking about. But also because it, there was something about like men in rock and roll are sort of allowed to age and they're sort of seen as ageless, whereas women in rock and roll, um, and I won't name names because I, I, the, they've already gotten enough shit in the media, but it's like either they're fat or they, oh my God, they've fallen apart or they're this or they're that. And you're like, and none of their talent is gone. They're still fierce. They're still incredible rock and rollers. And because you can't get past their faces, you're going to tell me Xene isn't like a killer? <laughs> uh, what's, you know, so I, I really wanted to kind of explore that and explore what that felt like. Because to be honest, I still feel like a 16-year-old. I mean, if I really just rip it apart, that's what I feel like. And so when I look in the mirror, sometimes I'm like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> what happened to me? And I, I, I figure somebody who tr- whose like entire job is like youth, that's your job is to inspire that feeling of, of being 13 and the first time of something, you know, the first time. I think that's why we love music so much because it, some of it rips open that electricity, that that. Oh my God, I know you know what I'm talking about, but you know, when you're just really young and something is new and fresh and like every single sense you have, all of a sudden it's a brand new feeling of everything is on. It's an electrical thing that you only get when you're like, I think past 17, you don't get it anymore because you're a grown up and you've started, you don't have those, your brain waves don't connect in the same way for whatever reason. But oh my man, gosh. I remember that and I crave that feeling, that new feeling. Oh, I get chills just thinking about it. Uh, you just totally sparked a memory in me of the very first concert I went to. Oh, I was, tell me. Oh I was God. 12 years old. It was Adamant. In Excess was opening for Adamant. And I remember my mom went with me and my friends. She didn't hang out with us. She let me have a little bit of freedom. It was at Mesa Amphitheater. But I just remember feeling like I could 
owned the world. Like I was just, I felt so larger than life. I went right up to the front and I could smell uh, clove cigarettes were really big back then. So it was like the smell of clove cigarettes and all of these other people coming to enjoy this event. And it was it was electric. It was magical. And the Go-Go's too. I saw them at that same amphitheater. I think it was a, a year later. Same feeling like, oh my gosh, just the excitement, the energy, yeah. feeling, feeling powerful. And I remember I could not go to sleep when I got home. I, I was just, I was so pumped up by what I had experienced and feeling like the music in your body you know, feeling it pump in your body. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's what yeah. they do for us. Mm -hmm. um, it, and why they why real rock stars are different than even like like a list actors. There's just something about them. I, I, I was doing another uh, a talk with somebody who was behind um, Joan Jett in the airport, um, like the airport security line. And he's like, she literally, you couldn't even get close to her. You could feel her energy field. I was like, yeah, I, I mean, people scream at you. You stand on stage and people are literally like giving you all their catharsis for you to suck in. I can imagine it, it gets a little weird. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting, Diane, is that you said like you're, you're 16, you know, you still feel 16. Um, I think we talk about, Tori and I talk about this all the time. It's like, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick up the notch and say I, I feel, you know, terminally 17 um mm -hmm. but but uh, the music that I listened to that I listened to when I was 17 is the music that I still listen to today and somebody was at somebody that I used to hang out with when I was 17 is like oh yeah so what kind of music you listen to and I'm like dude I still listen to the same, <laughs> the same stuff, music you know I'm still like... listening to the bouncing souls and no effects and Pennywise um <laughs> I haven't really evolved much I listen to Fleetwood Mac now <laughs> it's good stuff I mean I, I do that too I like okay I'm gonna go listen to some new stuff now but then sometimes when you just need to feel like held it's like let's turn on you know Lou Reed and the Velvets and see what he's got to say today you know even though I know these records backwards and forwards yeah you know my family was like the Tijuana Brass Band so. Herb Albert <laughs> gotta love it yeah, yep. Herb Albert yeah that and, was my uh, Sunday morning <laughs> I remember I was, I don't remember how old I was. I might've been 12, but I, I had my, my overprotective mom had finally let me have a bike. And so I was biking around the neighborhood and someone was having a garage sale and I loved the records cause they were so colorful. And, um, I still can't believe somebody did this, but S Sergeant Pepper was in the, the garage sale bin. So I was like, I know who tosses out Sergeant Pepper. And um, I, I was like, oh, I want this. I bought it. I brought it home. And I, I literally was just sat there like this. I, <laughs> my mouth hanging open, staring at my little teeny weeny little girly radio uh, uh, stereo set going, what just happened to me? What just happened to me? You know, I, I magic. It's pure magic. Pure magic. Love it. Love it. it Love it. Yeah, any opportunity to buy records too. Mm -hmm. You made me oh, yeah. think that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I want to bring it back to the script because your play talks about the complexities of of being in the complicated side of the music industry. It's interesting because it's not black and white. Like you, you have this character of Nigel. Can you talk about how he came to be? and um and just why that was why was it important for you to bring that character in because he's he he could be considered a villain um mm -hmm. but he's also he's quite likable he's a mm -hmm. very likable character i think i was really interested in um the magic aspect like we talk about this right the magic aspect of some of these rock stars and uh some some of them are, are actually seem to be endowed with the ability to really I, it's a charisma that is beyond what most people possess. And I thought how interesting that would be to put somebody with a lot of charisma, but maybe not a whole lot of um, common sense or the ability like, like Bowie had charisma in it just for years, but he also had like a brain that he knew he wanted to get places. Like even in his most druggy moments or even Lou Reed, both of them, when they were even at the lowest, the, the ambition was the music, right? Um, but what happens if you have the, the charisma and the talent, but the there's like one little thing that's missing that you're looking for in other people? And I thought, well, he's kind of a vampire, right? He's kind of a love vampire or a music vampire. Um, and I thought that just from personal experience that there are 
men like that or women like that that can come into a relationship and just sort of like explode it because of because of the way they want you and then it turns out to be like it's so needy that it sort of causes you to disappear for a while and um i was really interested in exploring that and and, and also because if we're being truthful a lot of the times it was the guys who got the most attention who were always they the guys were able to like i say they were able to age they're able to to do some things and get away with it they're able to make mistakes and come back and and uh I don't know that that grace is often given to women, especially women in music. Like, w women in general, like, you think of what happened to Winona Ryder. Oh, I know. Right? I mean, and then yeah. and how hard it has been for her to come back. Did she deserve it? I mean, I don't know. But then other other people, like Johnny Depp has, has been given so many chances, and he's still Johnny Depp. You know what I mean? I think about that a lot. I mean, like you have to be perfect or you have to be perfect enough or you have to, I don't know, you have to be willing to give yourself up enough or hide when you're done or keep changing your face or I don't know. I, I Like, I, I don't know. Again, I don't want to call people out, but some people who I adore and, and think, you don't need to change your face. You're still amazing. I would listen to you in a wheelchair. I would. I totally would if you were still shredding on the guitar like that. Um but but we're not they're not allowed to do that. I, I can't judge that. They're living in an industry that it worships youth and yeah. Mick Jagger. So go figure. Oh I, my god. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> Keith Richards. Oh boy. <laughs> like ha ah. Oh. He's but, like a thousand years old. And he and he, he looks it. You know. Um. And I yes. And yet, <laughs> and yet, that's so that's really heartbreaking. I recently read an interview um, with this amazing performer and she's like she's in her 70s right she's like i think she might be 70 now 70 <laughs> 70 71 thereabouts um and she was she was talking about unapologetically like i don't understand women who go gray like just the tone of the interview she was just like this is this is like what she has to do to exist in this space because she's still um she's still performing that was the expectation that she needed to keep up her presence um, and yeah. could not understand people who didn't follow suit. Right. So, and that's a little bit heartbreaking because then you think like, man, you are, uh, you don't, you're a powerhouse. Right. Like, who cares what okay. you look like? Just, I know. Like, but, but that's, but that's us. And how, you know, she's, she's been doing this for several decades and who knows what she's heard, right? Because she, she talks about how she gained weight mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, that is that, you know, hearing that, you know, like it could be something incredibly traumatic for someone who was used to be idolized and, you know, was like celebrated for not only her her amazing voice and songwriting, but also like her looks. You know, yes. She's yeah. An attractive woman. And then to suddenly hear like, oh, you know, she gained I think she said that she gained like 70 pounds um, and had a really hard time losing it. Um, so now she's got that trauma of having to to like like never go back to that place and um and yet putting out this message like i don't understand women who go gray right but, but then there's like that their public persona but yeah. then there is what is happening behind yeah. the scenes which yeah. is what i love about the play yes because we are seeing what is happening behind the scenes we're getting to peek into all of the the drugs and the drama and the love gone wrong and and friendships ended over it i mean look at the go-go's you yeah. know what happened what happened with them that's right. really tragic actually yes and, it is oh and the runaways yeah. too like some of the stuff and the, that runaways. the runaways yeah, the infighting, the uh, all of the things that happen behind the scenes, um, when really it's the love of music that initially brought them together. Yeah, and and so um, I'm curious if you could talk about the relationship between Slade and Katie. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of relationships, yes, yes, and and uh, this is an interesting one because. Um, Katie's young. Katie's a kid. You know, Katie, this is not, it's not a clean thing. And I'm always really interested in that, like, uh, she's underage and Slade is a 50 year old woman and should know better, uh, but doesn't. And let's this kid quote unquote, and I'm putting this in deep quotes, uh, seduce her. Um, and there's a lot of, um, 
I just wanted to just touch. There's no hagiography. Hey, like none of these people are clean either. I mean, that was a, that's a screw up um, to have that relationship. And uh, I mean, I, people have asked me, well, why don't you make Katie 17 just to make it more comfortable? I'm like, I'm not interested in comfort. I'm interested in really digging into how messed up this all is and how over-sexualized women are and how you, like you were saying about the other artists, like how you start perceiving things through a lens of it's okay because it's rock and roll. Well, it's not okay. It's not okay if Jim Morrison did it and it's not okay if you do it. She's still underage. Um, and I also want to explore that idea that somehow young girls are manipulative because because you see them all at around the age of 16. And I hope that while they are very smart and they're very ambitious and they may be manipulative, yes, but there's also like an underlying reason for why, like the why it's like you have, most of us are here to get what we want. The characters in this play want to get what they want. Katie wants to become uh, famous and to really mess with her mother's head and to kiss Slade. I mean, she's got all these wants. Um, and it's up to the audience to decide whether or not, like, you want to put a morality on it, you go for it. Because I think that's great for you to think about that. Do you find it sexy or are you grossed out? I'm really curious, audience. What do you think? Uh, I'm not going to tell you what I think. It is a, an interesting line that it walks because at 16, you're, you know, you are you are coming into your sexuality like sometimes it, it it feels good to be wanted we all want to be wanted uh -huh. we all want that connection and she is really drawn to slade like a magnet mm -hmm. you know because slade still has that magnetism mm -hmm. about her which is what i love because she can be in her 50s and, <laughs> and is desirable and she has something that Katie wants, right. which is maybe this is going to rub off on me. I'm, I'm going to, I see what I want. I'm going to take it. But also that, that thing of youth, that not even thinking forward to the consequences right. of my actions, like what, what am I doing and what, who's going to get hurt? You don't think about that when you're 16, you know? <laughs> No, I look back at the things I was, I, like the things I was wearing and what I was wanting. I mean, truthfully, my body was definitely wanting stuff, you know. Um, sure. And, and it's, it's something we ignore at our peril about the power of young female sexuality and also how um, explosive and exploitative it can be, you know. And um, the whole thing about if you hadn't worn that, that wouldn't have happened to you. Well, that's oh, right. bullshit. I mean, right. we, we're sexual beings. And the, the minute that we start talking about it and really digging into what that means at very young, I mean, I, I teach a lot of kids and you watch them, this, the girls go from 12-year-old little girls. And then one year later, they've got this figure and they don't know what the hell to do with it, but they like it and they hate it and they, you know... And I got my sympathy because I just realized trying to navigate that when men start, 30-year-old men start looking at you and just checking you out and you're like, oh, that's awesome. But you, like your mother's going, oh, that's not awesome. No, that's not awesome. That's terrifying. You know? Yeah, I'm going through a bit of that myself with my own teenager. So I totally can commiserate. It's, it's so hard. So <laughs> it's hard. So, it's so hard because the one thing you don't want to do is say, cover yourself up. You need to be, you know, yes. you don't want to say, be ashamed of your yes. body, right? Exactly. So it, yeah. But at the same time you are, you're going, Oh yeah. Hey, you dirty old man. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. It's so, it's so, I, I saw that something. It's like, it's not about like, um, girls shouldn't have to cover themselves up. You, you shouldn't be such a shit. You know, it's it's more about like it's not the girl's fault. It's it's the the people who are doing the the looking and the leering should like you know learn yeah. how to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I think I saw something. It's like why why do we always tell girls to cover up? Why don't we tell guys to like just like be a decent person? Human being, not, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh. Diana, did you ever see Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with uh, Diane Lane oh. yes yes I love yeah. that I love rock and roll movies too I just love yes. them did you ever there was one called Grace of My Heart I don't know if you remember it was it's from the early 20s I think 
uh, it was Allison Anders, um, it, and it was basically the story of Carol King through the Brill Building. Oh. It's beautiful, and it's all original okay. music where they pair a new songwriter with a songwriter of the period to do like Brill Building music. I love I love stuff like that. Anything, any music, uh, any thing about music like that, I will happily watch. And if it has women in the leads, even better. Yeah, but I'm rare. gonna have to watch that. I wrote oh, I it down. It. I loved it. Hey, do you play any instruments? I do. I happen to play guitar, um, and I happen to <laughs> have been taking um, lessons all through this pandemic. I finally said to hell with it. I'm going to actually sit and like go back to one. And I was telling my teacher, he's this great, great old dude from um, Santa Ana High or Santa Ana College, and he's teaching us like songs from his youth. So I learned um, "Wish You Were Here" uh, <gasps> from. Um, uh, Pink Floyd. Pink and, Floyd. And I swear to God, I'm such a self-conscious guitar player, which I wish I wasn't. But there was like, I had 15 minutes of actually like doing all the hammer-ons and really playing like a like a real guitar player. And I thought, oh, I get it. I get it. It's so good when you're in the zone. You know, and then it all fall apart and your fingers hurt and it's like a mess. But yeah, so I've, I've been trying to play because... Um, uh, my my idea is that the the women can play their guitars. I mean, there's a lot of women who play well already, but there's also there's a real joy in learning to play for the play, especially because it's I'm not asking for a whole lot of playing and, and there are things you can learn to do and I would love to sort of unlock that like don't be afraid to learn this really terrifying new skill for a play cuz you might just end up enjoying it and doing it again later, you know, after the play's over. I love that. And you know what I especially love that? It's so punk because how many of these punk bands right. like started and not didn't even know how to play guitar? Like the Ramones, right? They right. didn't even yeah. know what the One hell they thing. were doing. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, um, it was always a, a disaster. But now look at, you know, <laughs> a zillion years later, kids are still wearing Ramones shirts and, you know, but it starts out with like the the no fear. But that's like the a... The no fear. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's a, an integral... I, well, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? What's what's punk to you, Diana? If you had to define, that's very hard. That's so I, hard. I, I know I'm, what I'm asking is a challenge, but if you had to define what it means to be punk, what would that be? Oh, it means to want to be, to, to, to be heard in spite of everything you might have to battle against and to do it any way you want. Like pick up, you pick up your guitar or you pick up the mic or you write songs or you learn to drum. It's just, punk is just about doing. And if, if, even if you feel the fear, you're just going to go ahead and do it, I think. I, uh, and I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like we live in so much fear. And for some reason, there's something about music that either you have the, the you, it's not that you have the talent even. You just have the ability not to feel shame. So many of us have like lived through our lives being shamed about how we sing or how we play. Like there's a real lots of shame that's sort of stuck in about playing music. I guess it's shamelessness, like no shame, maybe less than fear. Maybe you do have fear, but you just have no shame. But you do it anyway. You do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. That's, that's, isn't that a, a definition of courage, right? Even though you're afraid, you, you, you do it anyway. That's yeah, a, I think so. That's very cool. So actually, um, because you, you brought up shame, I was curious about the relationship between Katie and Luisa. Um, and I was wondering, I think Katie says at one moment she tells Slade that she doesn't really know anything. Like her mom doesn't talk to her. Is there that sense that why doesn't Luisa open up to Katie? And is there, is there somewhat of a like hesitation in sharing that part of herself? Because of we do learn a lot about what the challenges that Lulu went through yeah. as she was coming up. I mean, she went through some stuff. So um, what can you talk about the relationship um, between Katie and Lisa? Yeah, you know, I think they really love each other, but I also think uh, Luisa is super overprotective of her daughter uh, in a way that's not very valuable to her. And I mean, I, I look sometimes, I, I've sort of did a little bit of research on, on rock stars with kids and their daughters and um, like Madonna and her daughter. Uh, th that's an interesting relationship. Like what's she was protective, but then Lola kind of popped out a little bit and has done a few things. Um, but it's interesting to me how few times you find them coming out and actually being rock and rollers. Like, I'm trying to think if I can think of anybody. It just seems like that would be um, 
there's a lot of overprotectiveness and also maybe a little jealousy. I mean, if we're just being honest of a beautiful, a beautiful girl who does have a voice, who, um, if you're not the mama Rose type and if you've had that kind of success already, are you, um, generous enough to allow your kid to have success? I mean, mm. you would hope you would think maybe, but maybe not. I don't know. I think it would be hard. I mean, because you, you think you're trying to protect them and how aware are we when we're, we're a little jealous, right? Mm -hmm. Or kind of a lot jealous. That's a great question. Yeah, I was thinking of my own kid. Man, more more power to her. I'll live vicariously through her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's not healthy either, you know? Yeah. <laughs> complicated relationships between mothers and daughters Fortunately, oh. I have boys so I, I feel like uh, my journey might be a little bit easier but um, yeah I have a boy too his father's definitely just even confessing to living through him and I was, <laughs> he's like this this is great we'll just I'll just you know do this I said that's weird you're also a performer go perform what are you doing <laughs> stop being weird <laughs> he's a Suzuki dad I tease him um, I actually, oh good, he's, never mind. he's not here. Uh, so my son has played the violin since he was four and, um, he's really, he's a really good violinist, but I actually sneakily got him a bass for Christmas and he picked it up and he could play it right away. Right. Cause bass is not super, like you say, it's not super complicated. And his dad was just like, are you turning our son into a rock and roller? I'm like, I just, it's just music. I don't you know, know. Whatever happens, whatever. Happens. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's so not going to stop him being a violinist. You know, it's just like music is so great. Why be binary about it? Just play everything. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What about the music and the lyrics? What was it like to collaborate with another artist to make the songs come to life? Yeah. So uh, Moises Vasquez is a genius, an incredibly underrated genius that I will, I have made it like my mandate to find money, to give him all the monies because um, I can say, hey, Moises, I need a song that sounds like uh, R.E.M. And like a day and a half later, I have a song that sounds like R.E.M. Or, hey, Moises, can you do something that's kind of runaways for me? He's so good. And, and, um, uh, He's a musician. He plays uh, his own bands are like cumbias and um, uh, more traditional sort of like like punk edge traditional uh, Mexican music. But he can do anything, and and um, he, he's a blast. I, th he's a blast. The only thing that for my collaboration is that my lyrics are sometimes kind of crappy because I'm not the world's best lyric writer, and so I give them hit my give him my lyrics, going, I hope he fixes them, and he doesn't fix them. He just gives them back to me, and I'm like, oh, now I have to fix the lyrics. <laughs> but um, because he's so respectful of my process, like I let him do his process, and he does my process, so he won't rewrite my lyrics, even though I wish he would, because <laughs> I know he'd be better at them. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so fun. It's so fun. So it says that, that the lyrics are by both of you. Did he write some of the songs as well or? Yes, because I've got him, I've got him actually on one that we're still in the middle of working with that he's doing all by himself. And then the, uh, I want to be a, uh, I don't want to, don't want to be a housewife. That one, I think he came up with that all by himself. And I was like, Oh, I love this. I'm just putting words and lyrics by you because this is great it it really did remind me of early go-go's like how what that what they sounded like before you know that shift to the record label yes. and all of that like yes. what it sounded like when they had their their concerts before yeah. yeah i'm in love with that i loved listening to the music um it, it definitely did take me back to my youth and made me want to be in a girl band a girl punk band I know I know I wish I'd had I'd been brave enough to pick up that guitar when I was a kid but I was so like into I don't know I was really I was afraid I was afraid and and um to do it and to be made f I don't even know if it was about being made fun of it's just like well if I can't be really good at it I don't want to do it whereas what I love about like you say they just picked up their instruments and were like eh I suck at it I'm just gonna do it anyway I think that's amazing. I mean, that's the play, that's the playwriting as a playwriting teacher. That's the advice I give the, all my students. It's like, just let it suck, let it suck. And then it will get better eventually. Just like, just like, you know, punk music. 
Well, Diana, it's never too late. You need to have your punk band. I know. I'm totally inspired, especially after all we've been going through. It's like, you know what? Forget it. No more. Because I just want to like live the rest of my life with a lot of joy and yes. some anarchy. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. That- a dash of anarchy. <laughs> that... Tori, that that segues perfectly into our asking for a friend question. Oh, okay. Yes. Cool. Okay. So, asking for a friend. Which band, current or defunct, would you want to be a founding member of? Oh, wow. Which band would I want to be a founding member of? Um, I mean... Okay, so one of my first answer would be I would like to be one of the Beatles back way before Brian Epstein got a hold of them and they were playing in Germany in the Reeperbahn and were basically little punks where they were like playing on drugs and playing 12 hour sets and it was just wild. That and and then I would have liked to been able to somehow marshal that uh and not make them clean up so much and see what would have happened. <laughs> but the- <laughs> Bless their beautiful Liverpudlian hearts. They were such sexists. I doubt they ever would have let a girl into their band. Um, uh, I mean, you know, I just wanted to be on the forefront of really exciting music. Like, I love Lou Reed, but something in me is like, if I could be a founding member and yet also somehow decolonize their sexism, that would be great because I would not want to spend all my time fighting with Lou Reed, who is brilliant and who I love. But I would, I feel like as I, we would just fight all the time. I mean, all the good, all the best bands do, though, right? That's all the true. best bands do fight all the time. <laughs> if anyone could do it, it would be you. <laughs> you would be able to do it. Oh my uh, gosh. What what instrument would you play? You know, I I um I would love to shred on the guitar. I'm a good rhythm guitarist, but I would love to be a really. I would like to be like Van Halen. I would like to shred like mad. You know. And again, I think that's just being shameless and fearless as opposed to like being technically good. It's just like, there's just something about just letting it all go. I, yeah, I would love that. I love that. (laughs) I'm going to look for that in the next year. (laughs) (laughs) Something's going to go up and it'll be Diana shredding. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that sound. I'm with you. That sound. It's just... It it's, just goes into mm, like everything. No, it does. It gets in your veins. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is something that Prince, yeah. you guys, Prince, <gasps> Prince. Yeah, that feeling that man. Ga- I mean, that feeling. I there was just something about the way he made those strings. They sang like they sing. I think that's what is so appealing is that it sounds like the human voice the way he did it. Mm. I, ooh, I'm all like excited now. I'm like, oh, I know. I'm gonna go check out Prince's Super Bowl <laughs> performance again. <laughs> like my happy place. yes <laughs> one of the the best performance i think ever oh, glorious for a halftime show glorious. yeah but again i wouldn't want to be in his band because i feel like all i would do is fight with him yeah. i would want to be prince but i don't know that i would want to be in his band <laughs> yeah he was a tough one yeah but for so sure. good i wonder how he i think about that a lot like they're releasing another record from his vaults i'm like oh i know come on you guys he doesn't want that. Oh, well. I know. Uh, I mean, there was a reason. Yeah. There was yeah. a reason. There was the vault, vault, right? I mean, yeah. I think of how Bowie died, you know, and, and he was, he had his image and he had his, he released his record like three days before he passed. I mean, it was all so thoughtful. He was a very, very intellectual um, rock star, that one. And so he has his image and he has a legacy and he was able to sort of like control it and everything. And I thought Prince and... Oh, it just makes me so sad. What happened to Prince? Mm-hmm. So sad. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun talking about music too, and like, and our 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 shared uh, excitement over yes. over music. And that's you've got it all. Fun. You've got it all in this play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Yes, thank you. Yeah, that's hope. That's what I hope people come away from. And you know, we didn't even um, get to talking about addiction, which is a huge part of your play too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And a huge part. I think it's a huge part of um, of the. Yeah, the culture, the culture, mm-hmm. the coping, the coping with the being gods, I think, even if it's great, even when it's shitty, even when it's great, it's like too much for a human being, especially if you're, you've got a lot of empathy and you're maybe on a different end of the neuronormative spectrum where you're just like a raw, I, I can't imagine how, I, I mean, we look at how many people we have lost to it. It's just, it's a, it's a big, big thing. So Diana, you are, so you teach playwriting. 
I do teach You're playwriting. You're teaching artist. That yeah. is that's awesome. That is so great. So, do you have um a a prompt, a writing exercise to leave our listeners with? Yes. And, and in fact, this, this is kind of something from uh, uh, what we have been talking about today. Um, I would say, think of a, a childhood song or story that has captured your imagination and stayed with you and write about that. Love just that. Just write about that. See how that makes you feel. I think I bet I, th- those monologues always tend, they just, you can write forever about things like that. And you know why for, for my, in my classes, I love talking about people's music because you really get to know them in that way. Because you can be vulnerable in a piece of music in a way you can't be just like, oh, I'm checking in and telling you how I did this week. But if I tell you that this song, when I was at my lowest, really meant a lot to me, you're like, okay, I think now, different level of understanding. Absolutely. And I think it also conjures up all of the other senses. Because when you think of that music and where you were when you heard that song or you were listening to it or was helping you, it just like it did for me with the concert, I I distinctly remember what it smelled like, what it felt like, what the air was like, all of that and what what it looked like, you know? So I think that when you hear a, a song that is so meaningful to you so deep in your soul that is a part of your being that it brings up all of those other things yes. for you that you experienced yes yeah, that's a great exercise that's a, a great tip to be mindful of of a character's music their yes, musical and, and interest if, if you're having trouble with a character that maybe isn't the one that you you know because we all sort of write about ourselves if we're being honest but if you're having trouble try and figure out what kind of music they like I yeah. think it's a really good entryway. You're absolutely yeah. right. You're absolutely That's... right. Okay. So, Diana, how can we connect with you? Well, you can always connect with me. I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. I'm La Diana Burbano, and I love talking to people. So never be shy if you have a question about the writing process or, like, how how the heck you navigate this damn industry. I'm happy to answer. Um, so let's see. I have a play going up at um, CSU Fullerton called Policarpa. They did this beautiful uh, streaming version of, of my play that I'm super excited about. I can't believe how much they've done. It was going to be like half live, half filmed, but it's now it's streaming, and that should be streaming sometime at the end of April. And then I've got another play streaming called Sapiens, which is about... Um, uh, people on the neuronormative spectrum and primatology, and I'm really proud of that piece. That'll be at, at Playground SF in another month, and it should be opening in the live world next January. So I'm so excited to have that. I can't wait to be in a room with people and to feel their energy and to like, cannot wait. Cannot wait. So Tori and I actually got a chance to watch the reading of it because it was at the Latinx New Play Festival um, Mm. last year. So good. That that was quite something. And you are our rep yes. for Dramatist oh, yes. Guild. Yes, I am. I am. Southern California. <laughs> Southern yes. California Dramatist Guild yes. rep. Yep. yep. And I have to say, I, I was at one of the panels that you did about doing virtual theater and have to say that I was really appreciative about your being mindful of access um, because I think that's a thing that yes. – theater makers very often overlook yes and so i learned a lot from what you had to say about that and um, was really grateful for for your voice in in acknowledging that well this um, what you're doing right now i mean this is a such a great access point for people to learn things and to to hear about theater and i hope that we can continue after this is all over to do i'm really into streaming uh radio plays right now i'm very interested in it and excited about it It, 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 it not just because it's a it's it's just a new medium that I think it's not a new medium, God, it's a very old medium, but you know what I mean? Like if we keep doing that, we can continue with access and then we can also do access needs for people who aren't necessarily visual. And and there's all sorts of things that we can do, I think. Right. Yeah. You know, I had checked out your website prior to, um, prior to us coming into this space together. And I have to say talking about access as well, Diana has, um, uh, a drop-down tab for free monologues, yeah. scenes, and songs, which actors, if we have actors listening right now, what a gift. 
What a gift to have access to some new monologues and some scenes if you're doing scene work and songs. So uh, really appreciate that. Thank you for making that available to, you know, that anyone can oh, access it sure. or has an internet connection. For sure. That's fantastic. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> mm-hmm. And can you talk about your work with um, Breath of Fire? Yes, I love Breath of Fire. That was actually the meeting I was in right before I was in here. Um, so we, we we pivoted to being what we call a new play incubator, and that's what we are focusing on and doing. And that means that whatever um, – we don't charge for our classes. So anybody can come. You can be anywhere in the country. You can come take an online class from Breath of Fire Latina Theater Ensemble. We will take anybody. Just because we're a Latina theater ensemble doesn't mean we're not happy to be inclusive. Um, we, But we hope that if you come into our space that maybe you will take away some of our... Um, our zeitgeist and how we how we function we're sort of a collective it's not a one leadership model um but but we've done a lot we've done a lot of work over the pandemic with poetry and the pavunga project which is a, a project here for native americans in long beach um we're doing the covid monologues which is a uh, a program that has been gone all over the world to honor people who have died of COVID and um, to put their stories on, on uh, tape, put it on YouTube and just, you know, keep that conversation going. So we're all about access. We're all about lifting people up, um, lifting up. I feel like, yes, I know it, the pie is this big, but that doesn't mean that we can't all grab a little bit of it. So um, if, if, any, if you have any questions, you can come to Breath of Fire, just see what we do and, and come join us in one of our classes too. Ah. One. That amazing. Yeah, that is. <laughs> I know. I was trying to take notes, and then I realized I could go back and listen. <laughs> yes, and, everything that I need. And we will yeah. put all of this information in our show notes so that people can yeah, can groovy. find out. Because I think I, I'm just so impressed by all of the offerings that Breath of Fire. Um, and like you said, it's free. It's it's wonderful. That's yeah, and I'm just one part of it. There's so all of our members do all sorts of wonderful things that you can just dig around in there. Because if it isn't playwriting and it's poetry that you want to do, there's access to that. There's access to learning how to produce, uh, all sorts of things. So that is so cool. Yeah, I think this brings us to the end of the interview. This yeah, wonderful conversation. Oh, Diana. it was so fun. That was really oh. fun. Thank you for letting me talk about like literally. Music is my love language, so it's just been super fun to talk about things I'm really interested in. Thank you for sharing this this beautiful play with us. It's called Fabulous Monsters. If people, it, is it is it out in the world? Like, is it? You can read it. It's on the New Play Exchange right now, so you can download it and read it. And it's still it's not published yet, but um, it's available. And uh, hopefully, we'll get it up on its feet. This one I don't want to stream because I feel like it's a rock show. Oh, definitely. You know, you know. I yeah. feel like yes. I would love it to be like in a little like a space like that, and so people can yes. experience it that way. <gasps> oh my gosh, in a in a club. Yes, yeah. That's how I'm. Oh that's my what gosh, I'm envisioning. it should totally be in a club. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love site specific theater. That's totally my jam. Yes, from your lips to the people yes. who give ah! us space ears. <laughs> yes. All right, everybody. All right. We can make this happen. I know there's places here in San Diego. There, there are definitely places yes. in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. All right. Diana, yeah. Yeah. Gonna yeah. Work on that. We're going to put our heads Excellent. together. Yeah. Excellent. Um, you can also listen to the music at SoundCloud. So if you go to dianaburbano.com, you can uh, look at the list of plays. You can listen to the music. Highly suggest you do that. Very enjoyable. And I think it adds to the reading of the play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So great. So thank you so much. Oh, my, thank you. My pleasure. Wow. Are you inspired? I am. And I mean, I was inspired before we got to have the talk. So this just uh, puts the cherry on top. And it was wonderful to get to hear the music that is the integral part of the play. Mm -hmm. Wow. I I really look forward to seeing this live on stage. I have no doubt that it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. You know, as the world opens up and... I just, you can really feel the energy from these characters. The, these are stories that um, spoke to me, as I think it would to anyone sitting in the audience. Yeah, and I would say that if you have, if you know this world, the world of of, of rock and, and music and, and, you know, have ever been in 
in clubs like that, man, you just you you know these people. So it was mm-hmm. it definitely felt there was a certain nostalgia to to reading it and to talking to Diana about it. So really really fun. Really fun play, but also really um emotional, you know. It's it's very layered. There's a lot going on there. So mm-hmm. it's just it's beautiful. Beautiful piece and really and you know, for those of you punk rockers out there, uh and even if you are not, and even if you are not, yes, you're gonna want to be. Yes, <laughs> after you, yes, read this play and listen to the music. Hey, it's never too late to channel your inner punk. It Although is. somebody once told me recently, was like, "Oh, you look different. You were, you're, you used to be so punk," and I was like, "What? Yeah." You know what? I remember going to see Agent Orange I and JFA. In a really small, it wasn't even a club. I think it was one of those warehouse things that was certainly illegal. Of course. um, Because my friend was dating the lead singer of JFA. You're not a real punk rocker if you haven't been to a warehouse show. They still have them, by the way. Oh, yeah. They still have, they're, they're still, there was one here recently. Well, not recently. I feel like... You're I remember, COVID? yeah, I remember John going to one um, before the shutdown. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that seems, you know, because now as a responsible parent and, you know, you heard about that horrible fire that oh my happened, God. you know, just, yeah, mm. yeah, all <gasps> those people that died. I mean, they could, there was no exit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, so go to safe places, people. That's the, that lady was right. The punk in me is gone. Just like, go to safe places. Make sure when you enter a building, you know where all of the fire exits are. Look for the exit signs. (laughs) Yeah. That's not, you know, our kids aren't going to do that. My kids hope. I mean, the shows. uh, My kid will. Listen, I took, I took my kid to see Kay Flay and Sir Sly. So I'm sure, and that was a couple of years ago. I'm sure I'm not getting any Parent of the Year awards, but... It was really enjoyable. <laughs> Look, I had babies in a bar, okay? So hey. <laughs> no no Mother of the Year awards for this crew. <laughs> uh, all, right. all right, Tori, what do we got coming up? Um, Our season is kind of sort of winding down. We, yeah. we only have a, a handful of episodes left. Um, mm, but they are but goodins. They're, they're, they're goodins. goodins. And mm-hmm. um, and I think we're gonna finish strong with end of play. Oh yeah, and, end of uh, play. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we'll so, have more on that at the next episode. We'll talk yes, about that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, all right. So I guess on that note, check out Diana Bravano, and we'll have all this information on the show notes. Diana Bravano at dianabravano.com. And what else am I missing, Miss Tori? Anything else? Any other shout-outs? Um, hey, I want to hmm. wish you, everyone, but especially you, Tori, a very happy Earth Day. I know that's coming up, and I know that's important to you. It is important to me. Thank you for remembering. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and right. enjoy that reusable straw. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening like subscribe review do whatever it is you need to do follow us on instagram if you're not doing that not already doing that and um share this episode if you found any value tori i will give you the final word go for it i have to use the restroom no no don't that's not the final word yes everyone um take some of these writing exercises that you've heard over the course of our podcast and Start working on your play. There's still time. Dramatist Guild end of play. We are on um, the 18th, so you still have a couple of weeks to write a play. It can be done. It can be done. And you know, you can write a five-minute play. Just write something. Heck yeah. Write something. Write something. All right. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.